welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of 2022 for the School of Travel's podcast. I want to start off today by asking you all a question. Have you ever considered buying real estate abroad? Have you ever had a dream of like buying a beachfront property on the sun-drenched French Riviera or owning your very own mountain chalet that you could enjoy every ski season? How about a condo in Mexico where everything you need is within walking distance and there are only 10 days of rain a year? I can honestly say I've had all of these dreams at one point in my life, but honestly, I never bought any of them. The number one reason being, I didn't have the money at the time, and frankly, still don't. But the number two reason was definitely because I had no idea where to start. When it comes to buying real estate abroad, there are many things to consider. Is it even legal for me as a foreigner to buy property there? Can I get a mortgage from a local bank? How safe is it really? Are there decent schools for my children, etc.? My guest today, John Sterling, has leveraged his long career as a real estate agent and broker in the United States and the UK to create a network of international real estate contacts that can help you find the perfect foreign property to meet your needs. John and I discuss different reasons why it can be beneficial to buy real estate abroad and also some of the things to watch out for. I also put John on the spot and ask him for his recommendations for the best places around the world to invest right now. And we talk about some of the places where it is possible to get a mortgage, even as a foreigner. All right, without further ado, here's John. Welcome to episode 68 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I'm here with John Sterling, a friend I met back in 2019 in Bonsko, Bulgaria, who I actually got to see in Portugal in 2021 as well. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming, John. And first of all, John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. The uh, I think the part that's the most instructive for what we're going to talk about today is that uh, I've been uh, engaged in the real estate business in some capacity for all of my career. So uh, I won't tell you exactly how many years that is, but uh, <laughs> it's been uh, a healthy a healthy uh, exposure to a few different decades. So um, anyway, that started out in the U.S. where I moved around a lot, um, opening up brokerages and doing uh, sales and training around real estate sales. Uh, for the largest brokerage in the U.S. And then that earned me the opportunity to go to London to open up uh, this version of real estate in the U.K. and kind of figure out how that fits. So that was my exposure to international real estate, which is what we're going to talk about today. So since then, um, I currently own, own with my wife a uh, an international real estate firm so we have representation in 40-some countries right now. Comes and goes as properties come and go. But uh, we are focused on helping people around the world navigate the real estate markets in the, mar the countries where they do not live. So, 
Okay, that's great. Yes, that is what we want to talk about today. So first of all, what is your background in travel? I mean, you said that you were in the UK with your work. How, how did yeah. you start this international journey? Because I know a lot of Americans listening to this are like, some of them are quite anxious about leaving the US. Sure. Yeah, we get that a lot. So the I wish I could say it was by design, but it really happened by accident. <laughs> so when I was uh, living in London, so I was there for a couple of years, 2014 to 2016. I actually left on the original Brexit vote day. I was like, okay, I see where this is going. Have a nice time. So, um, but anyway, so I was there for two years. And during those two years, the cool part is when you live in London, like there are a couple major airports that'll get you to anywhere in Europe pretty quickly, right? And then there's a train that'll take you under the, you know, go through the channels. You can go to Paris or Belgium. So anyway, so having easy access to a lot of these places. And it was really kind of a cool experience because I made friends with a lot of other expats who were there. And like everyone in London was kind of there for a a short period of time. So the visas at the time were you either get like a two-year visa or a five-year visa if you're there for work. Um, And we all knew that we wanted to capitalize on this, this easy access to Europe. And it's it's amazing that you can just get on a plane for a couple hours and then end up in a totally different world, right? So um, once we figured out that like, oh, it's really this easy and it's not that expensive. Um, so we were maximizing our opportunity just with proximity, right? It's like we were, uh, you know, happy to be uh, uh, available to all of these types of places that were, that were just around the corner, just a couple hours away. So that's really where I got heavy into travel. And then when I got back to the U.S. Uh, in 2016, um, I was still moving pretty aggressively. And then uh, it was 2018 when I put my stuff in storage in Colorado and uh, just went on kind of a walkabout, as I say. So I spent a few months in Colombia. I spent a few months in Argentina. I spent some time and I mean, I just did, you know, short week or two trips in places like Sri Lanka, Thailand, and you know, Lebanon. Like I just went on and on. So I visited, I made meaningful visits to, I think it's 41 or 42 countries. I haven't counted lately. Um, so I have uh, that sort of exposure. And some of it was just for fun. Uh, other trips were like where we met in Bulgaria. Like I was checking out the real estate market. That's how I ended up there in the first place. So. That is the first thing I remember about you. You're like, yep, I'm here to check out real estate and, and see what this what Bulgaria is all about, essentially. But yeah, it makes sense. The first that... thing you remember, it wasn't my it wasn't my good looks or my sense of humor. I mean, of course, of course, John. But I gave you the <laughs> tour of, of our co-working space. That was, I yes. was like, well, who's this very, American? <laughs> very, I was very grateful. So thank you for doing that. If you work with John and you meet him in person, he's handsome and charming and, and quite tall, everyone oh, listening. <laughs> But yeah, that makes sense why you are like you've started this business for. So are you focusing on any regions in particular in the in the world with real estate or are you really just are do you look into yeah, a place after so, someone asks you? How does it work? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So um, a lot of the original growth for what is now um, Espatriati is the, the company, It's which is the Italian word for expatriates. Very fancy, right? So we were operating under a different name and finally popped for a .com instead of a .io just because even in you know the advanced stage that we are with the internet, it's still very difficult to tell people that it's .io instead of .com. So we finally bought a .com. Anyway, the um, so that's the website that has all the stuff or all our properties. But uh, a lot of it is directed by uh, where our consumers are asking questions. 
right? So, I mean, we ended up with a bunch of stuff in Aruba, of all places. So just like it's a popular place for Americans. It's a popular place for Dutch folks, right? So it's like uh, there's some connection there to the Netherlands. So I've, um, so that's where a lot of the original stuff comes from. When it started, it was a lot of uh, like where places I like to go and where my American friends were asking questions about, right? So where can Americans go pretty easily? It's like they can, uh, you know, they go. a lot of them like to go to Mexico because at least you're an easy flight back to the U.S., right? And Mexico is pretty easy to, you know, they're, they're not difficult about allowing you in. Um, you know, other places in South America for people who are more adventurous, you know, it's like Colombia, right? It's like still pretty easy, easy flight from Florida. You know, it's like, it's, you know, it's, so they're, they're, um, you know, it's kind of showed up like that. It's like, uh, it's a combination of places that I like and places that I knew that American friends were going. Uh, and then, you know, places where people that contact us, they're like, Hey, we're thinking about going here. Can you do some digging? Like, sure. So. So with that, I've ended up writing, uh, it's not to pitch any of this, so I won't even give you the titles of them, but I've written a bunch of guides about uh, moving to different countries, one of which became a bestseller on Amazon. But uh, And that was the one about moving to Portugal. So Portugal is very popular with uh, expats from a bunch of countries right now, so not just the U.S. Um, Portugal, the reason it's popular, number one, is it's you know beautiful weather, beautiful place. You know this. Uh, is that where you're sitting now? Are you in... No, I'm actually in Mexico right now. I am oh, returning cool. to Portugal in a, in a couple of months. But yeah, I, one reason awesome. I wanted to talk yeah. to you about this today was because yeah. I'd had such a, you know, interesting experience and it, and, and at times challenging experience buying property in another country. And I guess mm-hmm. like, I want to take it back for you, John, like, where do you, sure. where, where should I start? Like if I wanted to first, like, why would you say, first of all, that people should consider buying real estate abroad? Well, there's a, there are a few different philosophies. One is just sort of asset diversification. So there's an investment argument for buying property abroad. Um, and this can get into, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm politically homeless. So I don't really, I don't have a dog in any of these fights that are going on. But um, if you believe that it's possible that the country where you're living could fall into serious civil unrest or civil war, then it would behoove you to have a plan B before the day that you need it. So a lot of folks are doing that, right? It's like they're, uh, you know, moving assets abroad. It's just a sip, like you can get a mortgage and you can buy a house, as you know, right? Like you did it yourself. Yeah, I got a mortgage. So, yes. Yeah, which is, which is also interesting because most countries do not, uh, you know, they're not excited about giving mortgages to people who don't live there. So, uh, you know, you got to live there, pay taxes, like have a job there. Uh, but anyway, so it's um, so having your assets distributed is just an investment, you know, philosophy that a lot of people subscribe to. Right. It's like it's like you just want to have have your hand in a bunch of places, have your stuff spread out because if one thing falls apart. You still have this other thing to go to. Um, so that's part of it. And then, the, you know, it's like the, the civil unrest thing is, is very real. I mean, we saw how quickly the world lost their damn minds when COVID showed up and you couldn't go anywhere. So it's like the, you know, again, it's like the day to get your, your plan B in place is not the day that you need it. It's like, you gotta be thinking ahead about how this could go. Right. And then we have people who are just interested in retirement, right? It's like, they're, they're interested in high quality healthcare. Um, just because, and I'm from the U S so I can talk trash if I want to, 
But uh, <laughs> it's like the, the U.S. healthcare system is not the best in the world. It's not even close to the best in the world. You have great doctors and you have great healthcare professionals in the U.S., but the system is completely broken. I mean, the whole term medical bankruptcy does not exist anywhere else in the world besides the U.S. It's just not a thing. It doesn't People are confused when you try to explain it to them outside the U.S. So it's like just because it's the most expensive healthcare in the world, which the U.S. definitely has that title, uh, that does not make it better, right? So you can get wonderful healthcare in a bunch of places that are, you know, like arguably better facilities and, you know, better care than you get in the U.S. for a fraction of the price. Um, and as people look into their retirement years, like that's an important thing. Like it's, you know, it's like you, you know, I don't want to, I don't ever want to have to choose between my life savings and the, the you know, the medical care of a loved one. It just seems ridiculous that, that that's a that that's a thing. So um, so the medical care is a big one. The taxes are kind of a thing. Like it's Portugal actually has a uh, as an example, they have a very favorable tax structure for expats. So your first ten years there, if you, as long as you do all the right things, it's like your first ten years there, um, you get a flat twenty percent tax on, on your income. But they only care about the income you make in Portugal. So if you have like rental property or dividends you're making from the U.S. For example, they don't, they're not interested in that income. So it's a huge advantage um, in a bunch of ways. So we're seeing a lot of, a lot of people are showing up conversations around that, especially with, you know, the latest inflation stuff, which is, which is nuts. I don't know what that's going to, what the, what that's going to look like in the future, but I know people are feeling pain now. So. Yeah, those are all great reasons. Like I know for me, healthcare was definitely one of the things that made me consider moving to Portugal. But that actually begs a question. Like if, if you just buy property, do you know of countries where just buying property will get you into their healthcare system? Because I know for me, I kind of also had to take that extra step of becoming a resident there to get that. So yep. do, you, do you know places where you can just, once you have a property, you get the healthcare? Yeah. Well, I mean, even in Portugal, technically, it's like if you show up and you're just like there, like say you're on vacation, um, you know, it's in their constitution that you have a, a, a legal right to healthcare. Now, if you're using like the socialized system, right, it's not necessarily the fastest and it's not necessarily the, the nicest, right? But they will take care of you, right? It's just like they treat humans as, you know, humans. They don't, they don't put us in different categories based on our economic status. So, um, but you're right. If you become a resident and you're like moving there and spending time there, they're going to force you to get private health insurance, which I don't know what you're paying. I don't, you don't even have to say, but, um, you know, my wife and I looked into what the policy we would need and, you know, it's going to be a couple hundred euros a month for like the primo, you know, like the best care you can get. Right. Oh, yeah. like I was looking at 75 euros a month or something. Yeah. So, and like, it includes dental. It's like, which is just as an aside, unrelated to property altogether. I don't know where the world decided that like your teeth are not part of your body as far as healthcare is concerned. Like, why did we separate those two? That is kind of a crazy decision. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's like, so for a couple hundred euros a month, and this is, is you know, it's like this, a similar plan in the US would be, you know, it's like a thousand or more per month. But like, it's just, you know, it's healthy young people. It's like, and then if you have pre-existing conditions, it's another problem, but um so anyway, so that's a, that's a real thing, you know, it's like, it's just, it's a, it's a long-term planning, you know, it's like, we're thinking that way and we're not alone. You know, there are a lot of other people thinking the same things. So um, now, I was yeah, also I, thinking, I was talking to a friend yesterday about this, actually. I said, 
you know, if you're thinking about retirement already, he's in his forties, I said, you might need like a few properties around the world because it's very unlikely that the one place you were raised or you've chosen to live now is completely like temperature uh, neutral the whole year, (laughs) you know, climate change is a real thing. And it's like, you gotta, you've got to have a place to move when, you know, if you're from Canada, for example, who wants to stay there the winter if you don't have to. Yeah. But they might have like the most, the best, you know, climate in the world pretty soon during the winter. If things keep getting hotter. I don't know. You know, it's like, but yeah, that's right. So it's like having, um, and it's the, the other thing to, that, that comes up a lot is like, you'd be surprised if you haven't really looked into it. Like you'd be surprised at how inexpensive it is to buy places, you know, outside the U.S., for example. I keep saying the U.S. I don't know if this is your audience. So I'm sorry for all the Brits and the Canadians listening, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's just, just for perspective, it's like, you know, buying a house in the U S is incredibly expensive and you're invading wars all the time, but it's like, you can buy, you know, a nice place on the beach in Portugal for you a know, hundred thousand dollars. Like it's, it's not, you know, it's like, it just depends what you're willing to trade, you know? It's like, it's, it's, it's just interesting to see. So it's like, you can easily afford to have multiple places in multiple countries, for the same price or even cheaper than what you would be paying for a property in the U S. So, um, you know, just being exposed to that and having these conversations has really opened my eyes to it. You know, when I first started figuring this stuff out, but uh, I'm not alone here. It's like, there are plenty of people who are approaching us with similar philosophies. So, so I would be thinking if I was from a country, like let's say an English speaking country, and I wanted to take the first step, I would reach out to you, for example, because I'd of course be worried about the language barrier, not knowing the laws oh, in that yeah. country. So what do you do for once I contact you? Yeah. So we're, um, and again, I wish I could say that this business was intentional, but like it really just, it started as a spreadsheet of all the agents that I could trust, you know, in various uh, markets around the world and then agents that I absolutely cannot trust. Right. And then I started tracking like the different laws. So in some places, uh, real estate agents, which in general, you know, it's like there's some good ones, but for a lot of places in the world, there's no regulation. There's no like licensing. So anybody in anybody off the street can just print up a business card that says a real estate agent and a real estate agent, right? So obviously that creates some problems and some challenges because uh, it's just not a not a um, you know what we would call a highly skilled profession. And there's really you know it's like they're just they're just in it for the next paycheck. Unfortunately, those are there. There are a lot of those in every country, even the countries that do require licensing. But that doesn't mean that they're all bad, right? So. Um, so anyway, so just navigating that 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 part of the process is interesting because um, it's you know depending where you're coming from. If you're from the U.S., for example, um, you know you can hire a buyer's agent, so someone who represents you as a buyer in a transaction, and that person doesn't require any upfront fees from you. They don't require money from you. They get paid when the deal closes from the listing agent. So it's like, oh, you brought the listing agent to the deal. The listing agent's going to give you half the commissions they're getting from the seller. So the seller's paying all this, right? Um, in many parts of the world, markets where we work, there's no such thing as buyer agency. It doesn't exist. So, um, and buyer agency didn't always exist in the U.S. either. That was the thing that showed up in like the 1980s, 1990s. So it used to be you'd only deal with listing agents. And of course, you can understand the problems that would show up there and why a lot of real estate, you know, real estate in general gets a bad rep for a lot of things because, you know, these, these folks who you were communicating with about properties for sale, 
they were legally obligated to show you all the things that they had for sale. Not necessarily what was the best for you. It's just like what's going to get them paid and like what represents their seller's best interest. So obviously, you know, it's like consumers get uh, upset with that kind of thing. But that's what you're dealing with in a lot of markets when you leave the, the U.S. or Canada. Um, you know, there isn't that level of buyer representation. So what we do is, is uh, you know, we have a pre-screened list of people that we trust. Um, so we make those connections. And, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's like our own private Yelp, if you will. <laughs> it's like, you know, we have like ratings and feedback and uh, recommendations or people warning you against stuff. And we just, uh, we keep all this stuff on, on our end. You know, we invite the good ones to participate on the advertising platform, which is our website. And then uh, the other ones, we, uh, you know, we tell people to stay away. So, so you're going to put me in touch with a local agent and then I'm going to communicate with that local agent. Once the, once Correct. I find a place, yep. I'm like, okay, okay. And you've already yep. vetted that yep. they're going to speak English and I'm going to be able to yeah. smoothly work with them. Okay. Yeah. And if they don't speak English, we'll tell you that too. Just be like, well, you're going to need a translator. <laughs> so right, so which there won't be any surprises. I yeah. used one with my transaction and, and signing the deed for Portugal. They actually, Portugal required a translator at the signing, which is a good thing. I mean, that, that gives you some confidence awesome. in the country, but yeah. I mean... It made me for sure feel much more confident. So you never know too, like you you start researching that as well as you get into the process because they may be actually required to finish the transaction. Um, So let's get into some of the, some fun stuff here off the top of your head. What would be, let's say the top three places you would recommend to buy real estate around the world or some of your favorite places? Oh, um, I'm not sure the best way to answer that. So I have a few ideas in my head. So when you're saying best places to buy, uh, in what capacity? Best okay. places as an investment opportunity? Let, best let's, places let's start as there. Expat, let's, best places. let's start as an investment okay. opportunity. And then I want to also talk about like ease, ease of buying, because I know it could be yep. so many headaches okay. can come up. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So if I needed to do top three, so if it's just an investment play, um, I like the former Soviet states for that. I happen to be sitting in one right now, Georgia, right? So yeah. not the one with the peaches, the one that's a former Soviet place, right? So I'm in I, Tbilisi, Georgia is where my wife and I are sitting right now. Um, so the advantages here, the, the thing is when you when you look at something purely from an investment point of view, uh, you really have to take a long timeline on it. And you have to understand that it's the reason you're you're uh, able to get good returns is because it could all come crashing down tomorrow, right? So let's say, for example, you were to buy a place in Ukraine, another former Soviet state. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that there's uh, things happening in Ukraine right now. So it's like, well, it's like you can get good investment returns in Ukraine. It's like the pending war or proxy war, whatever that's going to turn out to be, you know, could ruin everything, and you could have your property destroyed in a war or no one wants to live there or the borders are closed and you can never rent it you can never sell it so that's the the risk part of the equation but in the meantime it's like you might be able to get good returns you know on the good years so you really have to have the stomach for it so in the developing world um, i'm going to give you more than three so it's like i like georgia i like ukraine i like serbia um, all these places that weren't uh necessary you know they're considered developing markets by most people so it's places that, you know, you got to d- just deal with some headaches. Like in Georgia, sometimes, you know, we'll get a notice that our water is going to be turned off for eight hours. 
And it's like, it's usually fine and you can plan around it, but it's like, you just got to deal with that stuff. Right. Or it's like, they're tearing up the street and doing construction and it inconveniences you for a couple months. But you know, that's part of the deal. If you want good returns, you know, you, it's not going to be, it's all rosy and, and perfect. You know, you don't just, uh, you know, anyway. So, so that's part of it. So the former Soviet States, I'm going to group those as the first part of my answer. Um, the other thing I would look at is like, where do the wealthy people from like wealthy countries go? Right. So it's like either for vacations, right. So like Portugal, Spain, France, you know, South of, South of France, South of Spain, Portugal, like this is where the cold, the cold Europeans go for vacation. Like right. I like those as investment opportunities uh, because you're always going to have a steady stream of renters and you can, you know, comfortably be fairly comfortable with the idea that you can sell it if you need to. Right. right. So that's a, it's a different investment approach. Um, and then the other ones I would say is like, look into uh, tourist areas where they are short-term rental friendly. So I mentioned that just because when Airbnb came on the scene, there's some cities like we're looking at uh, Barcelona recently. I think it's still banned in Barcelona. I don't think Airbnb can operate at all. Uh, so anyway, but, so that's something they consider also because you're going to get a much better investment like rental returns. If you can do short-term rentals, you just get a higher daily rate than long-term rentals. Um, but a lot of cities and even countries don't like Airbnb because the hotel lobby has told them that they should not like Airbnb. So anyway, so there's, so that's something to consider also. So those are, I mean, that opens up kind of a, you know, a bunch of other options for you. uh, Where that was easy to track because it's so hard to find out, you know, the upcoming regulations or potential each area. Lisbon just came out with something this month, actually, they're trying Mm -hmm. to crack down more. So, yeah. It's it's a, it's it's constantly in motion. So that that's not one you can really control. Um, the best advice I have if someone wants to do short term rentals, um, and again I recommend it. It's like we're you know planning to do a similar approach when we get to Portugal. Um, let's just have a place where we can you know stay in the off seasons. Uh, but anyway, the 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 thing to do is to look at markets where there's already an established short term rental economy. So um, places that are traditionally tourist types of places, because those places aren't going to like, they're not going to get so upset with Airbnb um, generally, right? It's like, because they're already used to it. They're just like, oh, this is already just part of what we do. It's just a different website you go to. Instead of going to a local property manager, you just go to Airbnb instead, right? So it's like they're, they fight a little less. Um, the tricky ones are where it's like, there isn't a lot of housing stock and hotels run everything like Las Vegas, for example, um, where it's like to try to find an Airbnb in Las Vegas proper, you're either looking at something that's a scam because <laughs> it was another, or you're like so far away from the action that you don't want to bother like going out to the burbs. Right. So it's like the hotel lobby is so strong that it's like, no, if you're coming to Las Vegas, you're definitely staying in a hotel. That's the only option. Uh, so you find stuff like that. Same like, Miami has similar features. Um, anyway, we could talk about the government corruption around that some other time. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So the uh, former Soviet states and the the like places where rich people go, the warm like the yeah. southern the southern yeah. European areas. Um, I would say the the more beautiful the area is, the better for like you know yeah. potentially selling like, it in the future. Of- yeah, the other thing to think about is like ease of transportation to and from. Like, is is there a major airport somewhere close? 
because uh, here in Georgia, I mean, one of the trade-offs we make is that flights in and out of Georgia are always at like insane hours of the day. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, your flight's at 3 a.m. I'm like, oh, thanks. That's wonderful. Like, like, what am I doing? Right. But it's like, that's just how it is. Right. So it's like that. But we're, you know, in Georgia, we're generally, if we're going anywhere uh, major, we're connecting through Istanbul or Doha or Frankfurt. You know, those are like the big airports that we go to the most, uh, sometimes Paris. But, you know, it's like, so you, so it's, so that's something to think about, right? It's like, okay, well, it's like, am I willing to burn a day traveling every time I want to go to or from this property that I own? Right. You know, that was like, one reason some I people, chose it's Lisbon. okay. Some people know. Yeah. I oh, chose yeah. Lisbon for that very reason. Um, someone actually yesterday asked me about Porto versus Lisbon. And I said, yeah, Porto is great. I love it, but the, it just doesn't have as many flights out of the airport. And then he asked me, well, how far is Porto from Lisbon? And I'm like, well, you're still looking at like yeah, three hour bus ride. Yeah. yeah so, and he's like, oh, that's not bad. But for me, I was like, I would never do that. <laughs> I would never have that. As yeah. Because yeah. think about it. Like, let's say you have like a 10 a.m. flight when you live in Porto. It's like, okay. So it's like, you got to get up at what time? Like, what time did the train start running? Like, are they running at 4 a.m. for you? So you can get there at 8 a.m. and then get a taxi from the train station to the airport and get like, no, you're going to have to spend a night there. So, you know, for some people, that's fine. And I was like, you know, like we're we're taking the same approach with, uh, you know, the Lisbon metro area as you. It's like, well, it's like there are a bunch of places we would love to live in Portugal. But for practical purposes, just because we plan to travel a lot, you know, visit friends and family in Georgia, visit friends and family in the U.S., you know, it's like we don't want to be burning days just sitting on a train and getting ready for a flight. It doesn't, you know, the flight itself is long enough. We don't want to add to that pile. So, right. Or pay extra for a hotel the night before. Yes. Really yes. adds up or yep. rental car to get there. But I mean, I know there are a lot of people that that do look for like those country homes. They want to be far mm-hmm. away from everyone yep. else. They're going off the grid. Uh, they're preparing yeah. to go off the grid. So, it, you know, there's, there are different properties for everyone, but. Yeah, definitely. Think about all of your needs before you make such yep. a big decision. Yep. So let's talk about ease of getting into a market. We already mentioned Portugal and how it's a, a rare country that will actually give a foreigner a mortgage, which honestly yep. was the number one reason I bought property there. I was like, I don't want to pay everything <laughs> in cash. Uh, so yeah. you know of other places that are very easy to get into and buy property? Um, there are other places where mortgages are available, but I wouldn't say easy. Right. It's like, especially if you don't, because you think about it from, because I mean, like, you know, the mortgage itself, it's like the bank is taking a risk. Now they're very good at mitigating the risk and making sure that they're not going to lose money. Um, But, uh, you know, it's like if if you're coming in and they're looking at foreign income, because again, and it's like things like, like credit scores in the US that doesn't exist outside the US. It's like your credit score in the US, it doesn't make a lick of difference for, other places they might ask for it like i think they asked you for yours with your yeah process. they asked for it three uh, times by the end i was like it really hasn't changed much in three months but okay yeah but they're just like paranoid because you're not there like they don't have their hooks into you like you know you're not a known thing there you haven't been you know like uh, uh hanging out there and borrowing money and paying it back you know for right. 20 years of your life payments yeah mm-hmm. so they just don't know so in order to mitigate that risk what they do is they require a bigger down payment right so it's like you know, if you need to leave a 20% down payment, 30% down payment, like some countries will, like Georgia as a foreigner, you know, I talked to the bank the other day, they say they, they need 50% from me. So they want a 50% down payment. And then the longest, uh, the longest uh, length they would give me for a mortgage was 10 years. So 
Okay. So that was the so that was the the way I remember it. There could be other banks that have better deals, but that was the one that I remember. I heard Italy so, maybe last year has 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 now been extending fifty percent of a mor- like mortgage to to foreigners. I, I might be wrong, but it, it it now is you can get fifty percent financed by a mortgage, which is exciting yeah, if you like Italy, you, but that's still pretty high. <laughs> pretty high. Yeah, it is. And it's like especially if you come from the US and you expect it to be, you know, it's like I'm gonna give it ten percent down payment or whatever. Like you're kind of spoiled. Um but and then like even the mortgage interest rates are high, right? It's like you're talking ten plus percent. So it's not like you just have to get used to that. Um the one thing that does like might be helpful for some of your listeners is um if they buy into new development projects. A lot of times, like the bigger, more reputable developers will have financing lined up through a bank. Mm-hmm. So like they'll already have, uh, but it's like, I don't, I mean, as a rule, I discourage people from buying into new developments, right? It's just because it's such an easy place to get scammed. Um, like a lot of people will get developments going and then not have the money to see them through, right? So it's like, it'll be partially done and then you're just stuck with a partially done unit that you can't live in and you really can't like affect any sort of change to make it finish. So uh, that happens more often than we like to talk about, but it's like, it's a real thing. So, uh, so I really, it's like, if you're going to buy it, I'm I'm not saying never buy new developments, but if you're going to do it, like go on the ground, you like, don't do this remotely. It's like, go see the place, like see where it is in the construction process go look at other places they have built, like go look at the last development they did a couple of years ago, see how it's doing. Right. It's like, check again, a lot of this, it's not in English. So you got to figure out how to do it. It's like, see if there are any lawsuits, see if there are any complaints about the construction from the previous place, you know, check on the, the background of the people that are like the humans in the developments, like not just the company, like what's going on here, because it's, it's very common to have these, you know, too good to be true investment type deals in new developments. Uh, but, you know, if it's too good to be true, that's what, you know, most of the time it is. So. Do you offer any of these services, John? Like, could you go in and do Some all the them. research? <laughs> okay. I'm like, that, yeah, that Some sounds very time yeah. consuming, but you know, if, you yeah. could, if I could hire somebody to do those things and I trusted them, I would. Yeah. We have considered adding like, uh, like a visa, um, you know, and relocation package to what we do. Like right now, you know, we're essentially an advertising platform and uh, uh, just a, a high quality network of real estate professionals, right? But like that's most of what we do. Um, but we keep getting questions kind of like what you're asking. It's like, well, is there more that you can offer as like a, you know, a total package? We've considered it. We're not ready to do that today. Um, but especially once we get to Portugal, I think that that would be the first place we would launch something like that. In this um, pandemic, it's, there's such demand. It's yeah, become so hard to fly to the the place. Like that's why I'm also thinking it would be mm-hmm. in the future like a great service for people because no one's going to want to travel as frequently. Yep, totally. Yeah, and I don't I don't blame them. It's like it's we can help solve that problem, but um, you know, it's like as I become like more of an old curmudgeon every day. You know, so like I'm, I'm just like I, I like to tell people no. I'm just like you know, we'll get requests that come through. They're like, hey, what are you about thinking about buying a place in 
xyz country like don't just don't do it like because I, I know from my experience of dealing with the agents and the lawyers and everything else there I'm like i don't like any of these people i just don't want to deal with them i'm like i'm sure they're good ones i just don't know any so i'm telling you not to do it so <laughs> that happens too right it's like uh, just there's some places that are just you got to be a little more careful than others that's all so you mentioned Georgia was going to give you a mortgage and I mentioned Italy and we know yep. about Portugal. What are some other countries where you can get a mortgage? Um, if you're a foreigner. I have not. Yeah. I have not done like a thorough, uh, like a list of all of them. Um, Turkey is, is pretty okay. I mean, generally like any place that's, that's, um, uh, that has some sort of golden visa program. Now, again, you don't have to use this golden visa and the golden visa for those of you who aren't familiar with the term is essentially you just show up with a pile of money and plunk it down into real estate or something else in the country. And then they fast track your residency and or citizenship. Um, so any country that has that sort of thing in place, like Greece has a new program that's interesting like that. The EU and Schengen countries are kind of tricky with it because they all want to have um, enough uh, sort of hoops to jump through that it doesn't get abused. So um, anyway, because it's, you know, it's like they're bad actors if you make it too easy. So they're not, none of them are going to make it too easy. But any place that has like a golden visa program, those are usually the ones that also have mortgage options available for foreigners. Just because they've, you know, they've already raised their hand. So it's, it's actually a much easier or quicker thing to search is like, you know, Golden Visa Greece or Golden Visa Turkey, you know, whatever, whatever country you're interested in, just to see what shows up. You know, it's like we call them Golden Visas is kind of a slang term, but, um, you know, it's usually uh, citizenship or residency by investment. It's kind of the other term you can search for. Uh, but any of those countries that are that are open to foreigners and trying to attract them, they usually have some sort of mortgage office available through their banks. So, uh, so that's a good place to start looking. Okay. How do you feel about um, Central and South America as a place to invest? I know, I do know people that have properties in Colombia, for example, in Panama. Well, I don't know about mm-hmm. the mortgage situation there, but that seems to be a popular place for people. Yep. Panama is very popular. They are very friendly to foreigners still, even after the Panama Papers that they just kind of shrugged off all that corruption stuff that came out a few years ago. Um so that's a very popular place. And they even have some interesting residency stuff. Like you can get permanent residency there. I think you just have to visit like you have to spend like two weeks a year there during the time period before you can get a, a Panamanian passport. I'll you can check the details on it, but I'm pretty sure it's like limited time in the country um, while you're getting residency. Now, like that has tax consequences and I don't give tax advice, but um, so like look into to it but that's a place that's very popular for a lot of americans um, again like easy flights from florida and texas you know it's like it's quick to get there um columbia is very interesting i spent a few months living there and then there are some interesting developers there too who who um, are catering to the community that we're talking about right so uh, the last time i looked and i haven't looked in a while but last time i looked um, you only needed to invest twenty five thousand us dollars in property in columbia in order to like fast track your residency there. So, um, and there were developers who were like, Hey, if you give us a $25,000, you know, down payments, we can give you a $125,000 condo. Right. And we'll take care of renting it when you're not there. So it's like a condo hotel, like those types of deals. So, um, I ran into a few of those. Those are very interesting. And that's a, a place where, again, it's like low cost of living, um, relatively safe. 
safer than places like Chicago for all you people who are like, oh, I saw narcos. I don't want to go to Columbia. <laughs> I was going to say safer like, than its reputation. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now, I'm not saying it's totally safe because that would be a lie. Um, but yeah, no. neither are many U.S. cities. So it's it's just a matter of, you know, like sorting through the noise and figuring out is like, is this safe enough for me? Like, you know, I was there for a couple of months. I had no problems. But then again, I was not out in the middle of the night at the clubs either. So I could have had a totally different experience if I was had different behavior. So I actually, the person I know who owns in Medellin, which is great because it's known as the city of eternal spring. So the weather is quite mm-hmm. good there, but he said it's, it's, so a, good. it's a different <laughs> place at night is what he told me. Totally. It is. So, yeah, it's totally yeah. true. And that's where I was for all the time I was there. Most of the time I was there. Um, yeah, I just had a normal life. I, you know, it's like the lights, the lights went down. I'd go inside. I felt like uh, Will Smith and, uh, you know. I am legend that when he was, he had the run of New York. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, Oh, the sun's going down. I'm going inside. But it now, was fine. Like I didn't, you know, I wasn't there for the party scene. It didn't matter. So it's like, it, it just depends on your lifestyle too. Right. It's like if going out at night and being, you know, engaged in that stuff is important, then that, you know, the safety might become a consideration. But if you're just going to live a, a boring life, like an old curmudgeon like me, then you know, so you'd probably be fine. So. Yeah, it all depends what's important to you. I actually just came back from Paraguay. Uh, I don't know if you've been there, but nice. I did have a friend that had just purchased property and I looked nice. into it and it's, it, it is very wide open for foreigners to invest in Paraguay. I don't think you can get a mortgage, but you know, you yeah. can talk people down considerably, like, like in many countries from the, the asking price, if you're coming with yeah. cash or whatever, but it, it's Paraguay isn't. Relatively oh, safe society, but it is very much based on bribes. And uh, yep. it's it's very <laughs> hot in the summer. It was 42 degrees Celsius when I left. So yeah, there, there's pluses and minuses, but it is um, there's a lot of, I think, real estate opportunity at the moment there because it's yeah. still not so widely known. And they just dropped their visa requirements for Americans, I think in October. Amazing. So yeah. Well, I know, so you asked me back to the bigger question about uh, Central and South America. I know Argentina is one of the fastest places you can get citizenship as a foreigner. I think it's only two years. Again, last time I looked, COVID could have changed some of these things, but I think it's only two years of like, you know, living there, then you can apply for an uh, Argentinian passport. Again, you got to deal with like inflation that's like 50%. <laughs> it's, um, you know, you can manage that. It's okay. But, yeah, uh, I actually love going I've, there. I love going there. But the problem yeah. is you have to pay. There there are no mortgages because of the unstable economy. And yeah. you have to pay in US dollars. So yeah, it's a tricky thing. Maybe crypto will solve that. And I think like, well, like Brazil, for example, again, I don't know the mortgage situation there, but I saw recently that they're, they're uh, you get it like a, a, a discount on your tax bill if you pay in Bitcoin. So okay, that'll be interesting. It's also known as one of the most corrupt, you know, governments in the world. But um, anyway, it's like it's there's that's a very interesting development. So I really think South America is going to be, um, you know, Bitcoin central, which, you know, not really the scope of what we're talking about today, but it ties into it. Right. So there there, there are ways that and there's new stuff popping up every day where they get options to um, like borrow against your cryptocurrency. So let's say you buy, you know. A couple of bitcoins, so you have a you know hundred thousand U.S. worth of Bitcoin. Well, there are places that will let you borrow against that, so you can become your own mortgage company, right? So mm-hmm. I think that is the most interesting use case of all this stuff that applies to my life, anyway. 
uh, is the fact that like you can become like your own mortgage company and your assets will continue to grow, assuming Bitcoin continues to go up. Right, it doesn't go up every day like we're seeing today, but it's like it, the trend over time is certainly up, 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 up. So um, again, this is this is all like you know you have you have to take a responsible approach. You have to take a broad investment uh, sort of philosophy around all of it, um, and understand that it's like okay, if you're moving from your mutual fund to Bitcoin, so you can give yourself a mortgage. Like, what's the risk? You know, mm-hmm. like, what are you losing out on? What happens if the market crashes? What happens if the country outlaws Bitcoin? Uh, you know, all of these things need to be taken into consideration. So again, it's a great opportunity, a, but a, also another, yeah. another uh, risk involved. Yep. If you're sure. already, yeah, sure. but it's, it's, yeah. To be able to get funding is always the first problem people have. So if there's a way around that, that is great. That's a step forward. Yep, for sure. So I'm excited to see what happens in that. That part so, of the, I do want to ask I, I, what, if somebody was like, well, John, there's so many Airbnbs around the world now. I'm just going to Airbnb. I don't, I mean, yes, I have the money to buy a home, but yeah, I'm just going to Airbnb. What What would be the, the case that you would give someone for buying versus just Airbnb? You know, I don't know. I'd say maybe they should just Airbnb. I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so what not, you're supposed to say. Again, I know. It's like I'm not the typical real estate person. I think that's why all my clients love me. Because I'm like, I'll just give it to them straight instead of trying to sell them something. Um, That's one reason I love talking to you. <laughs> you always like, tell it to like, me straight. Yeah, it's like, come on. It's like, I'm not. It's like you can see right through it, right? It's like, but so many agents don't get that. It's like, we understand what we're being sold to. Like, we're not idiots. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so yeah, so it's like some people like shouldn't be buying in a foreign country. It's like it's just outside of their comfort zone. They're never going to get there. And that's totally fine. Like you shouldn't feel any pressure to like, I could just like for the people who are exploring it or the people who, you know, think they might want to, or after hearing this, they're like, huh, you brought up some good points. I never really considered, you know, what happens if the U S devolves into civil unrest and all the embassies are closed and now I can't go anywhere ever again. It's like, do I really want to be there? Do I really want to be my only option? Right. Or should I have another option lined up just in case or people who are like, Oh, I didn't understand that medical bankruptcy doesn't exist outside the u.s because i've only lived in the u.s it's the only thing i understand like that's fine like that was most of my life too there's nothing wrong with that but like maybe you know your eyes are opened a little bit and you're like hmm. as i get older it's like your body's gonna break down eventually you know it's like nobody besides betty white i mean the rest of us are um you know slowly deteriorating with time i think she was like perfect until the end so uh yeah you know it's like you just gotta you gotta play for that kind of stuff you just have to be like well like if things are going to start going wrong with my body, do I want this to be a huge financial burden for me and my family? Or would I like this to be part of, you know, a, a socialized system? And, uh, you know, the, the people, it again, it's like, I, I don't get into politics. I have no dog in this fight. I'm politically homeless. But it's like, I know a lot of really rich people who live in Portugal. So for those who say like socialism never works, it's like they're just parroting something that they don't fully understand. So, um, you know, socialism in appropriate ways has demonstrated that it can work. I'm not saying it works all the time. I'm not saying it works for everyone. But, like, you shouldn't be scared of, you know, socialized medicine. Like, it's it's a, it's a, a good thing in most places where it's been implemented. So It works, yeah. And, and the bill is just almost zero or, or so minimal compared to what you're just used to paying in the U.S. Yeah. 
And you don't have to work 40 hours a week to get that health insurance. It's just there for you. Yeah. Or or fear that like my entire life savings are going to be gone because somebody in my family gets sick. Like that's terrifying. It's terrifying for a couple of reasons. One, maybe my life savings isn't enough to pay for whatever thing they need to keep them alive. That would be terrifying. Number two is like, let's say we spend all that money, right? (laughs) And then, then what do we do next time? Like, it's like, what if that's not the only time we get sick? What if there's ongoing care that we can't afford? Well, you eliminate a lot of that, that stress and a lot of those problems if you don't live in the U.S. anymore. So, uh, Right. I, I brought up another point to a friend recently. I said, like, you know, if you are considering, and this is also a case against Airbnb, um, if you are considering, like, owning property outside of your home country, you, it's it's better to start earlier because you can start going to that property and establishing relationships with your community there that will pay dividends in the future. You'll, you'll start to love that place more and more as you know more friends there, but you can keep going back to the same place. The Airbnb may not always be available. Um, and you know, I think it's a, a great comfort as you do get to retirement age. If you, let's say you buy a place in Mexico and you keep going to that place every winter, you're going to have tons of friends <clears throat> by the time you retire. Yes, that is, that is something to consider, right? It's like, I guess that would be, <laughs> I don't know where we, we fit that, but we can talk about it now. It's like, you know, it's like um, a lot of, uh, you know, let's say North American expats, you know, it's like they really enjoy places where, you know, they can they can go and experience the new culture, but they also like to have conversations with other expats, like people who are in the same boat as them, people who had made a similar decision to get out of their hometown and their home country and go live in Portugal, for example. Um, but yeah, people do that. People do that domestically. It's like, you know, it's like when I was in, I'm in, from central Illinois originally. It's like, where do people go to vacation? Right. Every summer they'll go to the same, same like cabin in Wisconsin on a lake, or they'll go to the same cabin in Minnesota, or they'll go down to the Lake of the Ozarks. Like all of these places, like they're going to the same place every year. They could be renting the same place every year. Sometimes they buy, you know, a second property. So all you're doing is taking that same philosophy and just spreading it across uh, country borders. Right. So it's not that strange. It's just maybe not what your friends are doing. It's maybe not what's going on in your immediate social circle. So, um, you know, that was something that I think you had to get, you know, used to. I had to get used to. It's like, well, you know, it's like, you know, I want to end up with our our goal as a as a family. It's like my wife and I are like, well, we want to end up with three places. We want a city place, a mountain place, and a waterfront place. Right. So that's exactly what I want. Yeah, it's like, and we we say it that broadly because it could be anywhere. Like the waterfront place could be an ocean. A waterfront place could be on a lake, right? The city place could be a big city, could be a little city, could be U.S. city, could be a European city, like whatever, right? Mountain place could be in the Alps, could be in the Rockies, could be in the Andes. Like we don't know, right? But it's like those are the types of things that we want to have in place. You could do all of that in Northern California, like you know, you could have a place on the beach in Half Moon Bay, and then you could have a place in Tahoe. Right. And you have a place in San Francisco. It's like all within like a three or four hour drive. So you could do it. You don't have to go across country borders. But I mean, there's, you know, so that's the the decision you need to make for yourself. And I don't I don't ever prescribe that to anyone. I just help them, you know, think through the, the options and what that means. So. I, I also have two friends that they were renting in London for years, and one of them is from London. And, you know, they, they couldn't afford to buy a house. If they did, they'd have to be way out in the countryside. 
And they actually started traveling, um, started working remotely, and now they're wanting to buy in Bulgaria and they're going to buy an apartment, I think, for under 50,000 euro. And it just, it's buying abroad can finally be the chance to own your own home that you never could get in your home country as well. That was, that's an interesting thing because that shows up too, because there are, um, you know, especially like I lived a lot of my life in uh, Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. So um, it's incredibly expensive to buy there. Um, even now that the city's kind of falling apart a little bit, but um, still, it's like, it's still just an expensive place to buy. So you need like a fat down payment. You need a really high paying job. Um, and even then it's like, it's not, you know, you're buying like a you know, old stuff. So it's not necessarily what you like. You might get a parking space for a million bucks, um, uh-huh. you know, apartment with a million bucks and then you might get a parking space with it. Uh, but anyway, so it's like a lot of the people that I was friends with in San Francisco, like, the, you know, it's like these are the Google, Facebook, like Twitter employees, you know, they're, they're making really good money, but they're like, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to buy in San Francisco. I'm going to continue renting in the place that I like because it's convenient and it's fun and it's a good neighborhood. And then uh, because I want real estate exposure in my investments portfolio, you know, I'm going to go buy a place that's cheap somewhere else, right? So they'll go buy a vacation home in Vegas. So they'll buy a vacation home in Tahoe. I mean, it's, well, Tahoe's not cheap anymore, but, you know, they'll go, or they'll go buy a rental property in Sacramento, right? So it's like, these are places they never intend to live in, but they want the real estate exposure. So that's what they do. So they continue being renters while they buy. I mean, that's kind of our, you know, like my wife and our plan too. It's like, well, Certainly, we'll have a place that we own that we live in in Portugal, but you know, it's not. We don't. You know, our focus is not get, just trading up to a bigger, bigger, bigger place for till the end of time, which is like the McMansion strategy in the U.S. All right, it's like we're we'll just get a place that's comfortable for us, a place that we can even rent when we're not there, and then we will continue buying up properties and all the other places we like to go and places we like to invest in, um, and then. You know, manage those through short-term rentals or long-term tenants or whatever we need to do. So, and you raised a good point about, for example, Portugal. You said if you have a U.S. property, you know that's not taxed at, at the beginning if you're a resident in Portugal. So, I think it's a great. Also, if you already own an asset or a property in the U.S., but you're not, you've never bought abroad, or you're like, oh, I don't know if I can move. Like, you can always rent that place out, get a really nice income from that, and then buy a place somewhere oh, yeah. else and live there. And start to, oh, yeah. yeah, like you could even supplement your entire income that you need there. Yep. I mean, it was like as we search for, you know, because we're going to end up in the Lisbon metro area to live. But as we search for properties, we, we go back and forth between it's like, okay, it's like, well, if Lisbon's going to be home based, that's fine. Um, we should probably buy a place in the Algarve also because we want to go and just visit, like, because that's a cool, a totally different part of Portugal, right? It's like beaches, fun, but we don't want to be there during the summer when all the tourists are there. Like, it just gets, mobbed right with all the the cold europeans come back come down and they just take over the place so that's fine and it's great for them and you know it's there are plenty of places in the u.s it's like going to you know, panama city beach on spring break it's like okay well it's like it's a different thing than if you come on the off season so um but that's the way we're looking at it too it's like well you you know you can you can own places use them a little bit and rent them the rest of the time um, you just have to be comfortable with like other people using your stuff, which again is not that big of a deal. Like just you know, keep your keep your your fancy pillowcases and sheets like in the storage unit, and, and don't let the tenants use it, and it'll be fine. 
Yeah, I was trying to find a storage unit or to or to make sure whatever I bought, I could envision where I was going to store my stuff if I ended up mm-hmm. running out my place. So, yep. yeah, yep. so so many options, it's, and I think just, so many reasons to buy a product. Stuff. It's <laughs> it just is, stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, but and the what was it? The I mean, it's a I guess it's a kind of a sad thing, but it's an appropriate thing to mention today because the meatloaf passed away. But uh, <laughs> uh, in the movie right. Fight Club. Yeah, the movie Fight Club, where it's uh, it was something to the effect of you know the things you own end up owning you, right? So I don't know if that's the exact quote, but that's the whole idea. It's like, well, if you have a you know house full of crap, right, that you're like emotionally attached to, but it has no real use and you don't ever touch it, well, that stuff owns you. You're paying for that stuff to just be there, or you could just use get used to the fact that everything that you have can easily be replaced. And it's really not that important if it doesn't have sentimental value um, and just have a much lighter and freer life. So that takes some practice. I went through this myself. It's like when I first moved to London, I either sold or gave away everything that I owned that could not fit in my midsize SUV. And then I left the SUV with my parents who got tired of looking at it after about two weeks and sold it. So so they sold that too. <laughs> That's yeah. Fun. But anyway, it's like, it's, it's very freeing. It took some time. I did. It's not like you can do it in a weekend. It's like, if you, especially if you have like a household full of stuff, like furniture and memories, and you know, just, but some of the things that's like, just get rid of it. It's like, if you need another one, go buy it. Like, it's fine. It's yeah. Not, you, you can prepare like a huge deal, clean yeah. out your house and prepare it to rent or, or even to sell. If you decide you're going to live somewhere else in, in the States or in, in your home country or buy abroad and, and downsize or, a, get used to a new culture and a new life. Yep. Yep. So it takes practice and it's not what your friends are going to be used to, but um, it's a good exercise. I don't know. And, but then again, I see like, uh, you know, folks that we've, we've helped navigate the the Portugal thing specifically, you know, they'll show up at the airport with like 10 giant suitcases. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, well, it's like, that's fine. If you want to pay a couple grand and, you know, like extra baggage fees because, you can't part with your, you know, 40 pairs of shoes. Like that's your decision. I'm not going to judge you, but it's like, it's just a little crazy. I'm like, guess what? People in Portugal wear shoes. Also, you can go buy new ones. You don't have to bring them all in a bag. Right. I was also telling people there's always, you know, once you move to a new place or you buy a place in a new country and there are not things there that you're used to having, like, let's say there is no Amazon and you're like, whoa, what do I do now? What are we going to do? Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's always like, I mean, especially in in Europe, there are very cheap flights to other countries in Europe or, okay, sadly not Europe anymore, but London. I I have this plan that anything I might need, I might be able to just fly to London with one suitcase, get some things there and just bring it back if like it's really hard to find where I am. So just leverage your trips when you go somewhere else, leverage. Yeah, there's really not anything that you can't live with. I mean, it's like there's, you'll find a way. Right. It's like the, the weird things that people ask for. It's like just like a strange list of like processed foods. Basically, people are like, I can't get Velveeta here. I'm like, good. Maybe you shouldn't be eating Velveeta. Like, Stop it. <laughs> I like that <laughs> like, you went to Velveeta. It's, it's glue. It's like it just lives in your closet for years on end and it tastes the same as it was the day you bought it. So it's like, but stuff like that, you know, people just have these cravings. I don't mind any of that stuff, but you know, it's like, just understand that wherever you're going, people live there. That's probably the best travel hack I can give you. It's like people live there. As long as you have your passport and access to money, like a credit card or cash, it's like, 
the, the people there have the same issues that you do, whether they're too hot, too cold, too sweaty, like too smelly, like whatever. It's like they, they've solved these problems also. Might not be the brands you're used to, but it'll be okay. Like you really will do just fine. Right. And part of the whole adventure of buying abroad is that you are going to be in this different culture. You're going to possibly have to learn that language. You, you should. Um, and yeah. it's, it's good for the brain. It's good for staying sharp as you get older. Uh, it can be a hassle sometimes to manage the admin of having like an extra place or more than yeah. one place. But it's, it, I think that's, that's also a, a benefit a lot of people don't think about. Yep. It's very true. So John, I right. want to ask one more time, what is the name of sure. your, of your company? I, I will put it on the oh, school of travels.com as well. Yep. It's S Patriati. So E S P A T R I A T I.com. Okay. S Patriati.com. Luckily yep. Italian is the pronunciation is pretty similar to the spelling. <laughs> Yeah. So if, you, language if, you, there. if that was too much or you just get confused, just go to Google Translate and type in expatriates from English to Italian and it'll show up and just go to the .com. Or go to the schooltravels.com. Uh, We're going to have the links there. Yes. Said 68. Yes. Grab the traffic to your site. That's fine. Also, if, if people want to follow you, is there anywhere else they can go or any other place you'd like them to take a look? Yeah, I'm on Twitter most days. Um, not, I mean, I'm mostly a consumer of Twitter these days because if you say anything that you get attacked. So, um, it's like a mental institution, it's, but it's, that's what Twitter is these days. So, um, but if you want to engage with me, I will engage back. So it's okay. Um, and then my Twitter handle is at Mr. Sterling, but you have to spell out Mr. It's M I S T E R S T E R L I N G. So Mr. Sterling. Right. Um, so that's, the, that's the best place to find me. I don't like Facebook at all. I'm on it because all you crazy people refuse to delete it. But uh, <laughs> if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that, I would have turned it off a long time ago. So people from my past keep finding me and I keep hooking them up with properties in other countries. So that's why I keep it on. But otherwise, I'm not, so don't, don't find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, John, for giving us a much greater insight into worldwide real estate. Hopefully it inspires people to just start thinking about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great to catch up. Thank you. It's been awesome. All right. Well, have a great day, John. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again, John, for giving us your honest insights into the international real estate market. As John said, buying property abroad is not for everyone, but it's definitely not as difficult as you think. And there are services out there like John's company, espatriati.com, that can make it much easier for you by vetting real estate agents and explaining the local market and culture before you even get started. When I bought a one-bedroom apartment in Portugal last year, I can tell you that I probably would have given up if not for the network of people I knew there who had already done it. I knew who to trust because I was getting personal recommendations for builders, translators, banks, etc. Suddenly, the idea of owning a place in a foreign country became possible, and I am so happy now to be living a 15-minute drive from an international airport and having so many services right outside my door. This was definitely not an option for me living in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hopefully my conversation with John has inspired you to start looking at places around the world where you would like to live and see if your dream of owning a place there may actually be a real possibility. You never know until you start looking. 
And with more remote jobs out there than ever, as we heard in our last episode, it's never been easier to have more than one base without giving up your job to do it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money. 